This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I ain't never given up. Stuck in a dead end, but you didn't know it. The roads don't all connect. Your body stopped moving, but you didn't notice. Sometimes a dead end is all you get. going on everyone the welcome back it is jay scott and this is another episode of the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks again for stopping by and tuning in don't forget to write us a review after you listen reviews are important to us like they all like they are for all podcasts so please uh we appreciate the time so please take the time we are part of the pantheon podcast network a great network of music related podcasts and the official podcast platform for metallica so they've got their podcast on our platform so visit us at pantheonpodcast.com as well as twitter instagram and facebook at pantheon pods and you can do the same with the hook rocks on all three of those platforms just search up the hook rocks and subscribe like and follow wherever you do podcasts so you get our latest episodes right to your phone don't forget to download that app we've had some great episodes recently we celebrated our 500th episode with dax nielsen from cheap trick we celebrated our four-year anniversary show with Nita Strauss, 
And we've had some great guests here the last uh, few weeks or so. We had Nick Perry on the show, which was a great interview. We welcomed Aaron Coburn and Leilani Kilgore. And some other episodes throughout the year, we've had Rick Nielsen. We've had Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy, as well as Richie Kotzen from the Winery Dogs, George Lynch, the legendary guitarist from Dokken, as well as many others. We've got some great stuff in store for you coming up as well. I'm really excited about this episode. You guys know that I like to promote, and the primary reason I started this podcast was to promote up-and-coming bands and new bands that have been around for you know just recently or for over the last decade. And one of the bands that was part of that inspiration is the next band that we're going to be talking with. And they just released their fourth album titled The Fourth Album. And the band is The Record Company. And my guest is the singer, Chris Voss. What's going on, man? How are you? Good to see you, Jay. Uh, thanks for having me on. That's a great lineup of acts, and congratulations on your 500th episode. That's awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time, and I appreciate you coming by, getting to know you here for the next 45 minutes or so. And, uh, man, I have been sitting with this album for, man, the last week or so. Um, I went out of town over this weekend. I listened to it on the airplane like three or four times. And it's got a great groove. It's like the lost album of the Stones era of Sticky Fingers and <laughs> Exile on Main Street. It wow, is awesome. That's a that's some high praise. I, I'm going to remember that one uh, when somebody doesn't say such nice things. <laughs> no, man, that's that's. I mean, the Stones. You know, we're. Uh, uh, I, I want to thank you for that and the opportunity to speak here today. Um, and uh, you know. We did the record ourselves. We did it in uh, our bass player's living room, you know, so like Exile was done, I guess, in, you know, probably a little more ornate house, uh, but I believe it was done in, uh, Keith's basement or some, something like that. So, um, so I was told fact or fiction, somebody can tell us in the comments, but, uh, uh, what I w- wanted to say is, um, the record came from a very honest place. The Stones are one of our biggest influences, no question. I mean, I, my favorite artist, uh, the, the top artist, I just recently did something for an overseas publication and they wanted to know, like, what's your ultimate, like, rock hero? And I went with Muddy Waters. <clears throat> and if you're, anybody out there isn't familiar with Muddy Waters, Muddy Waters is, uh, the electric blues pioneer from Chicago on chess records in the forties and fifties. That basically, I mean, the Rolling Stones named their band, you know, after his song, like a Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone magazine. So it's all comes up blossoms from that place. So I think when you've got people that are playing rock and roll that are influenced by some of this early Chicago stuff and like the Detroit artists like John Lee Hooker, et cetera, uh, and, and early rock and roll bands, you know, you, you tend to gravitate towards that sound, you know, but what you just said, the sticky fingers, let it bleed. Goat's soup, you know, that whole stretch they were in there where they made just like so many great records is, is always, uh, something I listen to. I mean, my dad raised me on that music, you know? Yeah. The, the Mick Taylor era of the stones is my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. The Mick Taylor era is ridiculous. It's so good. We've got lots to get into, but first, let me kind of just back up a little bit because we always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest, and that is really what our show is about, and that is just like every great rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? 
it was in, well, I was a, a music fan as far back as I can remember. But the moment that I like was like, I need to have a guitar in my lap and I need to learn how to play it. I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, hence the little tractor on my hat. Uh, so I kind of grew up in a bit of a time warp. <clears throat> and this is important to this story for one reason. It just kind of gives you an idea of how I, that I was actually probably near the end of where you could be kind of isolated uh, and have to find your uh, music through the radio. Uh, I mean, there were four kids in my grade school class. I was really kind of in this little corner of Wisconsin, and we loved music around the house. My dad was a rock and roller, played it all the time. But it was this kid came to my little uh, grade school that had so few people and was, you know, attached to the church and all this stuff, and he came in with a Metallica shirt on with a big skull on it, and uh, scared it scared the crap out of everybody but me. I just was like, oh, yeah, this guy's awesome. And I just, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> it created this, created this huge hullabaloo. So I asked him, uh, hey, man, what's something I should listen to, you know? And he gave me a VHS of Cliff Em All, Metallica, uh, like early 80s, like where it's all VHS recorded. And I watched that and I went crazy. And there was a performance of Seek and Destroy on the Cliff Em All video where there's a point where they do like this real, what would I call it classic? Some people would call it cheesy because it was all that was available, like slowed down motion of Cliff Burton, like head banging. And it was at the moment, I think, where I saw him in that, the throes of rock where I was like, that's it. This is what I want to do, man. Like it's, it's odd. I'm a guitar player, but Cliff Burton is probably at the top for me of like people I admire as far as like who found it young. He like did all this stuff before he was 24. You know, it's, it's just crazy. Um, so yeah, it was that it was Cliff Amal because of the renegade guy who came to my little Catholic grade school and showed me that there was a way to, uh, shock people and, and rock people. And that was all I wanted to do from that moment on. And I promised myself that day, uh, I would do this for a living. Cliff had such a unique tone. His guitar, his bass was almost like a guitar. Yes. And the way it filled the, the song and the way to fill the music, it was so unique because no one was playing like that at the time. Well, he had a Rickenbacker, which was, you know, Lemmy, you know, kind of, I sure had something to do with that for him. Um, but, uh, and then he would use crazy old, you know, he wore bell bottoms in the eighties, you know, and nobody was wearing bell bottoms. He didn't give a crap. He, he did it his way and he liked what he liked. So, you know, that was a nice place. And then I got really quickly into so many other things. Like it's funny how I, I know a lot of my friends who started at out, like where you start in metal or punk and, but you also all of a sudden find the blues and the early guys and girls of the, of the genre. And so it was like, I'd be listening to, Metallica or like, you know, Megadeth, Rust in Peace or like, uh, you know, any of that stuff. Testament, I think I was into for a bit, you know, Alex Skolnick. And then, but then on the other side, I was listening to Cream, Hendrix. And then in the blues, I was listening to Muddy Waters, John Lee Hooker, Howlin' Wolf. I was a huge Ray Charles fan because I'm also a singer. So those voices really called out to me so on the guitar playing side i'm listening to like hendrix i'm listening to that but on the on the singing side i'm I'm really getting influenced by these amazing 
unsung heroes of rock and roll, like, you know, John Lee Hooker, Muddy Waters, Ray Charles. I remember the impact when I was a young kid watching the Blues Brothers for the first time. Oh, yeah, that was a big one, too. Yeah, I mean, I grew up outside of Chicago. So did I. I mean, I was hearing Blues in the Womb. And when you look back now and you hear all the artists that are named or performed in the Blues Brothers, I mean, it's just like the who's who. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can name them right now. Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, James Brown's the preacher. Uh, uh, Cab Calloway is the, the, the wise, like, guy who he does the mini the moocher thing. Uh, John Lee Hooker's in there for a minute. You know, it's, it's crazy. The whole band is, is the backing band. It's Booker T and the MGs, basically. It's like, uh, you know, Duck Dunn on bass. Steve Cropper, one of my biggest influences on guitar. And, you know, they they were the guys who did all the Otis Redding recordings. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you know, it's like it's yeah, that's a great movie when when you're a youngster to get get yourself into. By the way, I rescued two kittens, my wife and I. And if you hear like some crazy noises going on, they're having a like a cat like WWE wrestling match right here. And there's nothing I can do about it. So uh, no worries. I hope it's entertaining. No worries. Every every once in a while in an episode, you can hear my dog bark in the background. Yeah, so, yeah. We rescued uh, two little rascals, and they're they're just they just are best buddies. But man, it's we're in the wrestling hour right now for them. So <laughs> don't forget about Joe Walsh in Blues Brothers too. Yeah, Joe Walsh in the Wait prison scene. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah, he's the guy. He's the prisoner at the t- at the table watching the yeah. band like smacking his cup down as as they're playing. That's Joe. I, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I ever caught that, man. Yeah. And you just heard me list, like, I take a lot of pride. There are two things I will never do. I will never admit I did know something that I didn't. Uh, so this is, a, I've never heard that. So <laughs> it's amazing. And the other is uh, uh not be impressed when someone blows my mind with a fact like that, because I did not know that. I had no clue. So well, him and him and John were, were great friends. I'm sure they were. And Joe Walsh tells that great story about how they were, they celebrated a Saturday night for like four days. High on. I mean, yeah, those cats like to go and hard. They, yeah. And they changed the wallpaper in a hotel room while they were high. <laughs> I'm sure it was done very perfectly. Too. Yes. Sure beautifully done. But that's a that's you can find that on YouTube when he tells that story. It's it's just amazing. Um and again back to Muddy Waters, I don't know if you've ever seen the video for Muddy Waters at the Zebra Lounge with the Stones. Yeah. Um that's such an amazing moment because the Stones are playing in Chicago as the story goes, and they find out that Muddy's playing at the Zebra Lounge and they show up, and then in the middle of the performance, Buddy Guy shows up. Yeah. Which is just, you know, this long fur coat and uh, they're all jamming on stage. That moment is so, it just blows my mind. The amount of talent that's on that stage at that moment. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's all coming together right there. Right. You know, uh, those guys up there. Yeah. You see them. There they go. You might have yourself a little uh, match here. Here we go. But yeah, no, that moment is quite, uh, quite amazing. And, uh, the thing, you know, though, it, it, there is, Maybe it's just me because I'm just such a sentimental fool and I root for the underdog all the time. I mean, I, I was always, I was never the first kid picked in gym class. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, 
you got to, when you're a scrapper, you know, um, I always, uh, felt a little bad when I watched that video too, because Muddy's playing this little teeny club and the stones are playing like the Giganto dome across the street. And, you know, it's not the stones fault. Um, but it's like they come in and it, you know, they're these big rock stars and the most important person possibly in the history of music is on stage in front of a couple hundred people, maybe. And it just rips my heart out. Um, because I'm like, Muddy Waters deserved better than that, man. He deserved better than, than a hundred people in a room. I think now if you, if I always go and check it, uh, and now that I just want to make sure so people don't think I'm saying like anything about stones. What they did was awesome. The jam was amazing. What I'm saying is the circumstances that somebody like Muddy Waters never got his, never got his due. You know, not, not the way he should have. And I don't know why that is. Um, I guess it's because blues is a compressed kind of very, you know, it's got a very distinct form. The one, you know, it's got its 12 bar form, most likely. And like the Stones wrote these great classic, unbreakably, unshakable, astounding songs that many more people could relate to. So I get it on, on a, on a level, but as a fan of Muddy, it always, that video has always had been kind of a bittersweet one for me because I'm like, wow, this is amazing. It sounds great. And then I'm like, I hate that he's in this room. I hate it that, that he's like not in that stadium with him. He deserved to be, you know, um, that's my sentimentality coming out there. I, I, he's just my hero and I, I, uh, I love him. So I, I always think about that side of it too. You know, I'm right there with you. I, I took my nephew back in January. I think it was January or maybe December uh, to see Buddy Guy at uh, his place in Chicago. And my nephew's kind of a, you know, a metal kid. He likes like the altar bridge and he likes all that kind of stuff. And I go, Hey, I'm going to take you to see Buddy Guy. He's like, why? I'm like, because you need to, you need to uh, see him. And I'm like, this is the guy that Jimmy Page called the greatest guitar player of all time. And we got down to his club and it's been years since I've been down to his club. And while we were waiting for him to come on, I took my nephew around to see all the pictures of the Chicago blues greats. It was like a museum. You know, there was magic Sam and there was lightning Hopkins and all these guys, you know, and I'm like, I was like a kid in a candy store and I was getting sentimental because, you know, as I told my nephew, there's nothing like the blues. There's nothing because it comes from, as such a unique place of slavery and poverty Ugh. and to, I mean, and I'm not talking like poverty as we know yeah. it where I'm talking like living in a shack, sleeping on dirt poverty. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, that's and, why I, I, I can't even uh, fathom what, you know, that's why you can, you can listen to the sound, but there's no way that a guy like me can understand anything about what it took to make that sound. I can only listen to the sound and be very moved by it, try to learn from it, try to dig deep into my life. But as far as the experience goes, you know, it is a completely unique perspective. And I think that's all the more uh, reason that it should be cherished and treasured and loved is because out of out of that, um, these men and women grew these great, great way to just be themselves and find a way to say what they had to say, you know, um, and, and I love, I, I love it. And it's, uh, it's also, that's why those old recordings also though, 
you know, when there's a really sad song, it really just rips, rips into you, you know, at least for me, you know, but yeah, you're right. Um, and that's, have you ever done any of the, like, listen to any of the old Alan Lomax recordings, like the field recordings? Uh, are you, are you familiar with those? Do you know what no. I'm talking about? No. Alan Lomax was, uh, Library of Congress. Um, he, in the, in the twenties and thirties, the thirties, forties, it's, it's that era, you know, it's like the Robert Johnson era. He, uh, he realized, uh, that, um, he worked for the government and he realized, Hey, there's all this music across the country that's like regionalized and it's very important stuff. And he had the vision to know that it was going to disappear someday. So he stuck a recording apparatus in the back of his car and he went down south in search of Robert Johnson, never found him, but he would just record whoever he came across. He'd go to a place and go, who's good around here? And they'd be like, oh, go over here, go over there. And he recorded Muddy Waters for the first time. That was the first time Muddy Waters ever heard his own voice. He recorded the Carter family. So the beginnings of country music, I mean, the, the the family that basically they say all popular country music, uh, they're a big part of why they grew from it, the Carters. He recorded endless, endless. You can look it up. Um, he went to prisons and recorded like guys breaking rocks and singing. He recorded Irish uh, people up in the hills, of Kentucky, and it's all free. Uh, it's on the Library of Congress website. And it, because it was, it, you know, they would just make these records and they file them away. And, uh, he's covers everything from gospel to jazz to blues to like chain gangs to churches. And it is the beginning. If you ever want to go to the root of the root of the root of the root, this stuff is raw as it gets. It's, it's straight up, you know, passed down. It's the time where music wasn't passed down by recording yet. A lot of these people were just learning what they were taught by their community. And you moved from Ireland and you were next door neighbors with a guy who's working out in the fields and your sound combines. And it, that's how we got here. You know, so, um, I think that's a really like, uh, it, from your, what you're saying, it sounds like your, your listeners are, and your viewers are very learned. Like if you're having a guy like George Lynch on, you know, these people are, these guys know so much, you know, so I, I'm just going to go with that. I'm not boring the crap out of everybody here. I hope, but, but, uh, go check it out. If you really love music, cause I, when I used to be a music teacher, that's why I get a little dorky about this stuff. So, um, I would always tell my guitar students, I'd be like, when they liked the band, like say if they came in like green day, I'd teach them some green day. And then I'd be like, okay, have you listened to the Ramones? Have you listened to The Clash? We learn a little of that. Oh, I love this. All right. Have you listened to The Kinks? Have you listened to Buddy Holly? Do you notice how Ray Vaughn by Buddy Holly and this Blitzkrieg Bach by the Ramones sounds pretty close? Yeah, that's a reason for that. You know, and it's like, and we keep going back and we'd always end up at Alan Lomax. And I would tell him, I'd say, dive, 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 dive to the root. Whenever you like a band, look them up, find out who they listen to, listen to that record. Then find out who that band listened to, listen to that record and go all the way to the root and then go back to the top, find another one and do it again. And like, that's just a really way to, I, I, I find, found was a great way to get kids to like really not only find something in themselves, but respect the lineage, which to me is a very big deal, like to respect the lineage of who came first, second, third, fourth, and who's the whole thing, you know? I had those same conversations with my son when he, 
started getting interested in music. You know, he started out with the hard rock and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden I start finding my John Lee Hooker, my Magic Sam stuff in his room. So he would listen to me. He's like, I'm like, you got to keep going further and further. And what happens when you do that, when you go back to the top, let's say, you know, like, we'll use your example. You started at Green Day. When you go down that line and you go back to Green Day, it sounds so much different. It, it's because you, because you understand it more yeah. and you hear other things. Oh, that's a good point. I had never put it that way, but that, that's a really good point. Uh, I just recently saw an interview with Neil Young that really blew my mind about why does a song always sound different every time you listen to it? And it, it, it's kind of, I think it might have, it might be a bit of a viral thing now. So maybe some people have seen it, but it's from like the nineties where he had his like that resurgence moment where all the like, you know, the Pearl jams and the Nirvanas and the, we're all pointing to him being like, look at this guy. And you know, uh, that's the era I was in, you know, so I, I would, so we all became huge Neil Young fans. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, listen to all these recordings and, you know, Harvest and all this stuff. And, uh, but his, his, his quote was this it, it paraphrase. I can't hit it. I can't nail it directly, but he was like, everything in your environment changes the way a song sounds. He's like, where you are, what's happening around you, what day it is, how you feel, what kind of system you're listening to. You know, all of these things, he's like, plus the performance, you know, even if you're listening to a station, a, a recording that is like basically encapsulated for all time, locked down on, you know, a, a piece of wax or a CD or streaming. It's like, even that recording that never changes, it changes because your perception is altered by everything around you. I find that, I, that, that, I, that was one of the coolest things I've heard anyone say in a long time. I just was like, wow, you know, that it's obvious, right? I, we all know this, but to hear someone say it so succinctly, it's like, wow, it really is a big, that makes sense. You know, if I listen to one of my favorite songs at the beach with my wife, it's one thing. If I'm listening to it at midnight with a whiskey in my hand here by myself and I've had a kind of rough week, it's another thing. You know what I mean? Have you ever had that experience where? You've never connected with a song and you're in like a club or a bar. It's like 1 a.m. and oh. you're drinking a bourbon and it comes on a jukebox and you're like, wow, this song is really good. It never hit me like that before. It's yeah. so odd how that happens. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't happen as much. I'm much more open minded now than I was, say, like when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, where your identity is so, like, it's like, I listen to this, and I dig this, and that's, like, a big part of your identity. Now that I've traveled a little more road, I don't have to hold so tightly to that. It's not like, uh, I'm way more, like, open to all things, uh, and I try to, I look at all musicians as allies in trying to do something artistic. So I get that right there, we're on the same we're, we're in the same intent, you know, uh, and I think it's a brave thing to do. So I give that right off. Now, that doesn't mean that everything I hear, I go, oh, this is great. You know, sometimes I'm just like, good Lord, I, I guess I'm just not on the same wavelength or this is just not my speed. But yeah, man, I've had so many bands like that. I, I'll tell you one that this could get me a little trouble, but Steely Dan, I didn't get them at all when I was a kid. I didn't get it. I, I liked like just you know, a little aggression. So I liked things that sounded like they were either going to blow, like blow the speakers apart or sounded like they were about to crumble to pieces, but never did. I wanted danger. I wanted, ah, 
And like, I didn't have a lot of place in my life for pristine perfection, you know? So it didn't, it didn't light me up. And when I was in college, I went to Alpine Valley. A buddy of mine was like, Hey, I got a pair of Steely Dan tickets. And I'm like, I don't know, man. It's not really my deal. But he's like, man, come on. You know, he's like, we'll go. It'll be great. You know, there'll be girls, you know, or whatever he said to get me to go. All right. Went, you know, smoked a J, sat there and watched. And I was like, I got it all wrong, bro. (laughs) It's like these guys are phenomenal, man. So then I became a huge fan, you know. So it happens still to me to this day, you know. I always ask myself, I've got friends that I respect that all are saying, you should listen to this. And I don't get it. Sometimes I'm not saying that that's going to turn me instantly, but I always do go, why do I not get it? Is it because I'm just this rugged individualist or is it just because I'm being a a snob clinging to an ideal that I should fucking let go of. I'm sorry. You can beat that. I don't know if this is that kind of You're perfectly fine. Perfectly All fine. Right, good, you, know, you know, that I should, you know, let go of my ego bullshit and like open my ears and my heart because I love these people and they all dig it. The band uh, Fish was like that for me. I, I could not get into that band for a long time. And uh the two guys in my band, now I respected them. I was like, they're amazing. I saw Trey by himself. I studied Trey. I think Trey's a astounding guitar player. But when the band would play, I'd be like, man, I, you know, wasn't my deal. And then so one night it just clicked. I just, I just was like, I understand. I, I get it. I, and then I could feel it. And I don't know what that invisible barrier was. Yeah. Or if I was ready, you know, maybe I had just uh, evolved as a person perceptively. Enough to where that fit somewhere in my soul now, whereas before, maybe I was a little too pissed off. I was a little too, you know, I I just always had a a fire in here that couldn't be quenched. And it's still there, but I've learned how to use it as a source of strength and heat instead of this destructive force. (laughs) (laughs) I totally get what you're saying, because there's only about a handful of bands that I've never been able to connect with. And I've tried over the years and I always try to use that term. I haven't connected with it yet. You yeah. know, this hasn't hit me. And about 10, 12 years ago, I finally connected with Thin Lizzy. Oh, and, and you know, I, for whatever reason, I just never got it. You know, I heard the popular songs. They were okay. And I just, I don't know what happened. I, I, I heard a song. I'm like, Oh wow, that's Thin Lizzy. That's really good. I heard the next one. I'm like, this is really good. And then I started to really get into Phil Lynott's writing style. In his approach, yeah. and it opened up a whole new door for me in terms of appreciating the band, and they become one of my favorite bands. And I was a total late bloomer on that band too, as well. May now let me do something here uh, for your viewers here, if I may. You serve sure. your podcast for a moment. All right, viewers, what's a band that you didn't get and now do get? Now we're not talking. Let's not throw a lot of hate around. There's enough of that out there. We're talking about. A positive result out of a, a big perplexed, perplexed situation in your life, like what Jay just described or what I just described. I, I find that fascinating because there, there tend to be the same kind of bands. It's like, you'll hear that about the dead. You'll hear that about, you know, I've heard that about Thin Lizzy before. I don't know if it's because a lot of people 
of our generation and past. You know, they're introduced through like some of their bigger radio hits, which like their records have so much more depth and stuff than just that one side of them. You know, like you're just like, uh, what is it? The boys are back in town, right? That's like not the big, the big one. one. Yeah. If that's the like one, like when I heard that one as a kid, that wasn't like, that didn't light me up. I was like, Oh, the boys are back in town. This is the greatest song ever. I kind of didn't get it. I was like, who cares that the boys are back in town? You know, that's where I was at at 16. And then as I got older and listened to the whole record, I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, this is great. You know, so, uh, you know, Deep Purple was another band that when I was a kid, I, you know, everybody liked smoking the water. Everybody learned that first, but I didn't understand how much stuff they had done and how crazy a band that was or like, uh, uh, bad company, you know, just sticking with the seventies theme. Yeah. I love bad company, but I didn't love them as much as I do now, you know, like, especially that first record. So, um, what's your band, uh, fan of the podcast? What do you think? I'll, I'll be curious, Jay, to see what they have to say. Wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I always find those discussions to be interesting because it kind of, like I said, you know, you keep evolving as individuals throughout your life and yeah. you experience different things at different times. And I think that also opens up your mind to other music or to other art forms as well. And when you go back and you hear a band that maybe you dismissed or you weren't and you've gone through all these experiences since you last dismissed them for whatever reason you've changed or it's, a, it's the atmosphere you're in at that present time yeah. and it just hits you like a lightning bolt and you're like, man, I just wasted the last X amount of years not listening to this band. And it's it's so crazy. Allow me to uh, insert, because you seem like a, this is something that I'm big on, all right? Uh, growing up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, and then now I live in Los Angeles. So I have, like, from the four, four kids school through, and I lived in Milwaukee for a long time, and then came out here. So I want to insert something there. Uh, you didn't waste any time. You didn't. It hits you when it was supposed to. I believe that, man. One of my good buddies, Mike Hoffman, a brilliant producer, guitar player, he, he passed away a little while back and he had made this hanker, his girlfriend made this handkerchief and it had these little sayings, sayings on them about Mike, things he'd say. And one of the ones that hit me the hardest was he's like, everything happens when it should and, uh, uh, or when it must, excuse me. And as far as creativity, yeah. and I think that's the thing. It's like, uh, I don't think you wasted any time. You were not in a place. I was not in a place where you could utilize that at the time. Now with your full, you know, every minute of your, uh, of your life, you get a little bit more experience right now with the full vastness of your experience doing the 500 podcast, all of a sudden you have this much bigger opportunity to go deep with it. And and it also reignites the, the the young listener inside your heart, the child, which I believe is like there's a kid in there. If you're a, a music fan, it never dies. If you if you stick with it and just kind of believe that, it's like that's the most pure, innocent part of me is this musical thing. It still lights me up. It still gets me excited. Maybe some people would be baseball or or, or something. You know, it's just. But for me, it's. You know, so you get, it gets to bring you back to that and you get to have the wisdom. So you didn't waste anything. I don't mean to get all deep on that. On no, that. not at all. It's like the great quote from David Lee Roth. Music is like a time machine. It has the ability to take you back to a memory when that song first hit you. 
or that band first hit you. And that's such a great point that he says. And, you know, getting back really quick to um, Muddy Waters and how this kind of relates. I was talking to Leilani Kilgore um, recently, and she was talking about opening up for Buddy Guy. Yeah. 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 The most amazing thing about opening up for Buddy Guy is to sit back with him and hear the stories he tells. Mm-hmm. And I just said to her, I'm like, I hope someone's recording those. I really do. I hope someone's taking the time with a black screen behind them in like, you know, this, this smoky, whatever you want to call it, recording these stories of his perspective on all these great blues artists and all these things throughout history, because that in itself, I would, if there was ever a box set of like 500 hours of buddy guy stories, I would be like the first in line to buy that and listen to it. Oh, I, I agree. The thing that's interesting though, that I've found is, you know, having met a handful of, of, of guys like that, women like that. Um, you know, we've played with Bob Seeger, uh, on his farewell tour. We've, you know, played with a bunch of different people. And there's some, here's why I'd, there are certain types of stories that will only ever be told between two musicians sitting with nothing to lose and nothing being documented. And, and, the only way to retain those stories is right in the mind and uh, and in the soul, because I think once you turn the cameras on, once you make it an interview, there's a certain type of stories that are going to be told when it's two people sitting after a gig and there's no cameras, there's no audio, there's nothing on the line. Those kinds of stories are 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 uh, a little different in, in the fact that they're completely uh, they're two artists relating to each other and, you know, performers are performers. So, you know, um, uh, when you're sitting across from someone, even though they may have just performed in front of 20,000 people, when they sit across from you and that switch goes on and they start talking and you start reacting, that part of them comes out. They can't help it. It's who they are. So, uh, you hear things that I know. You know, are, and I'm not even talking about like bad things. I'm just talking about like, it could be a deeply personal story, you know, something that's very, it's hard to get people who have been in the limelight for a long time to open their heart up. And it, you know, where they're going to really express something like, Hey man, you know, if, if you're a younger artist and you're with a, someone like that and they're like, you, you know, watch out for this or, or you know how I learned this. And, and that's happened too, but uh, with me. Uh, uh, talking to, to those kinds of people. But I think that's the, there is a, it is kind of sad because those stories, if you could get that deeper ones like documented, that would really be something. I just don't know if you can, you know, because especially cats of that generation, they're very like, you know, they, they're, they're cautious about things. They were came up in a music industry that took and hurt them and beat them up and, chewed them up and spit them out. And then all of a sudden they were cool again. I've said it before and I'll say it again. And I've learned this in my own little teeny way. Nobody knows you when you're down and out is one of the greatest lyrical compositions in the history of music. That song is exactly dead money on to what being a musician is or a person. It's like when you're on the top, all these people care. It's great. And then you hit some misfortune. Maybe you're not the coolest kid on a block anymore. And where they all go, there's nobody left. Nobody wants to look in your direction. And then, so I, I think like cats like that. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. They have a knowledge of that experience that, you know, is so much deeper than any of us could possibly know. Sorry, as I talk, no. is a problem for me. I, I just rarely do you get into these kinds of subjects in a in a podcast interview. So I, I I'm just taking advantage of it. I hope it's at least mildly interesting. I am <laughs> totally interested, man. I love from the heart. Anyway, this is this is why I never prepare for a show. I always let the conversation go where it goes, and right. um, you're absolutely right. I never thought of that perspective about the stories being told and when this, when the switch is not turned on, how you get those deep personal stories. And it, it's, you know, because the way I look at it is buddy is really the last of the OGs, right? I mean, he is the last guy. Staples too. Yeah. And Staples is the same era, other side of the coin gospel in Chicago, but she was right there at that exact same time. Yeah. Her, her and buddy guy are kind of, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm so afraid that like, when he does finally pass, how 
blues will continue to get further and further away or away from people's minds and away from the significance of it. Because when you think of all the great bands, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, like the Stones and, and Zeppelin and, and Hendrix, rock and roll obviously had a huge impact by those bands, but it is not what it ever became, what it did become without those bands who were influenced by these guys. I mean, that's just the whole heavy thing is like, like you said, you know, you keep peeling back the orange and peeling back the orange and getting deeper and deeper. And there's a lot of people who love music who don't do that, who don't understand the origins and how this relates to what Zeppelin did and what the stones did and all and the Beatles and, and, you know, it's just, it blows my mind how that great genre of music, which is a, which is probably the only and purest American art form there is, mm -hmm. right? How that could be gone and just, just a footnote in history. Well, you know, I think what we're dealing with, well, a couple of things to unpack on that one, just firing off the hip. Um, uh, one thing I'd say is, you know, in music, there's, there's seekers, there's gatekeepers, there's consumers. Uh, there are people who just need something, a song here and there to make them feel better. There are people that need it for their very lives, you know, and all are valid. All are important. You know, if you got four kids and you're a single person working two jobs, you probably don't give a shit about any of that and you probably don't have the time for it, and that's completely reasonable <laughs> you know uh, it makes complete sense your priorities are correct but there's probably some songs that flip you on i think that like what i'm trying to say to herd all these cats together and what i'm trying to say um i think there will always be people that are seekers i think there will always be forms of gatekeepers um good and bad uh there's more freedom now but you know uh, the radio stations, you know, and playlists and all these things are going to kind of continue to evolve. Um, and then there's going to be people that look to, you know, everybody's got a family member. If you're listening to this podcast, it seems like we're, you're probably the family member people look to to go, hey, man, what's cool out there right now? You know, if you're listening to this podcast and find it fascinating, you're at the 40 minute mark of listening to a guy you don't know. You probably are looking to. uh <laughs> to learn something about something, right? So, um, so I think that's important. You know, there are always going to be people that fill that role. I think what, what you're speaking of is just the general acceptance of the evolution of the fact that, yes, we are at that time where Led Zeppelin and, you know, Chuck Berry's gone. He was here our whole lives and he's gone. You know, I mean, these, these people are going away. Their recordings will last forever. Um, and I, I think that's very important. Um, but you know, are the Beatles any less valid today than they were back then? They might not be as big of a cultural, you know, tsunami as they were when they first came out. But I mean, my 12 year old nieces and nephews listen to the Beatles. You know, it's like, so what I'm trying to say is we just have to accept. And it is okay, I think, to mourn the passing on of the torch. But in the end, one thing I said to my buddy the other day, and I, why I, I, and I love what you said, like to shine a light on new artists. There is a passing of the torch. And it's important to, if you're a seeker, not just go, Oh, have I heard every single 
note of everything here. That's great. You know, I've listened to every Jimmy Reed song in the history of time. There's hundreds of them. And, but also to take the time to do what this you're doing here, which is who is out there now? Who's on stages now? We can't go back to Madison Square Garden and watch Led Zeppelin as they were in Song Remains the Same. That is documented, but we can't do it. We have to embrace it. We have to accept it. And we have to do these kinds of things. Open the floor for real discussion and real sharing of knowledge that allows for younger musicians to not only hear the tunes, but learn what moves people. And I just think we're at, unfortunately, because of where we're at, we're at that age. It's it. Rock and roll is an 80 year old genre, 90 years old, a hundred. If you want to go all the way back, you know, there, there, there's a lot of debate on when it started. And I only go a hundred because I'm like, sometimes you listen to some of those old Delta blues recordings. I'm like, that's rock and roll, right? I mean, that's rock and roll already. You know, it's like, it might have been called that. That's what it is, you know, at that moment. Um, in my mind, uh, I think we just got to accept it. You know, we got to accept it and we got to let it go and, and, and hold what's treasured about it. You know, the stones are still going. I'm not going to say they're not going to go to layer 120 because somebody probably 30 years ago is like, it won't be around in 30. Well, they're kicking ass. So, you know, but we got to accept it. And, you know, if there are artists that come through town, like the stones and you've ever seen them, I think you better want to go see them, you know? Um, but when there's a $25 ticket band that's driving their own sprinter into town and you're like, holy shit, these guys are good. Or this girl is good. Or these girls are good or whatever the hell go see them. Because that's where the torch is now. That's the new one. And, and the, I'm not saying they're making, anybody's making dark side of the moon. Nobody can do that except for those guys at that time. But somebody can make something that can move you today. And if you live with something for a long time, it does become as important as some of those other things. I have that in my life. I've got buddies who never did nothing in this business except for play, record a couple songs. I got a friend who recorded a few songs back when we were in college. I still listen to his little demo today and it is as important to me as anything, you know, and what am I going to say that it's not as good just because it didn't attain popularity to the level. I mean, so go find what moves you. I guess that would be my end message is go find what moves you believe in it. Never bullshit people and say, these are the lessons I've learned the hard way by fucking up. Never say that you know something that you don't. When somebody says, have you ever heard of this band? You've never heard of them and you want to be cool, everybody. And you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard. Don't do that. Big mistake. Because then they're going to go, which song? And you're going to go, uh, you know, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, and, be, you know, if you're a seeker, be a seeker. If you cherish it, cherish it. If somebody doesn't get something you're listening to, don't get mad at them. They might not be there yet. Just tell them why it fucking hits you and, and, and give them an opportunity to maybe take a different route. Cause one thing I always used to say, now I'm a big fan of fish. One thing I used to say to my buddies when I was not such a fan. And this is, <laughs> it's another line, Jay. I'll just leave it at this. I'd say they don't need me, man. They're selling out 13 nights at stadiums, dude. They don't need me. Give me time. You know, I'll be all right. I did. Someday, maybe I'll figure it out, but they don't need me. So if somebody's like, I don't like Metallica and you, it offends you, just remember Metallica's going to be all right. Everybody will be okay. So 
Yeah, they're going to eat. They're going to eat well, no matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people that do need you though out there, and the people that go out and seek out new music. You're the facilitators of the dream. You're very important, and you're the reason that things get to those bigger levels because you ha- everybody has to go through the same bullshit and has to fight through the same channels. Some go fast, some take thirty years, but. If you're playing 1,500 seats or more a night, I guarantee you that band went through a lot of bullshit to get to that point. And it's people who hung in there, believed in them, talked about them, went around, said, like what you just said, Jay, about us. It's like, I wanted to talk to these guys. That's the currency that creates the momentum to give a band an opportunity to break through. And then maybe we won't all be so sad all the time because you'll be like, yeah, I can't go see these guys anymore. But you know what? I wish I could. I mean, I wish I could go back and watch Robert Johnson play on a corner of a, a down in Mississippi back in the old days. Like, just watch him sit and play because that's what he did. He just busked on the corner. The most, maybe the most important people and person in the history of guitar, Robert Johnson, because he influenced everybody. He just play on the corner. I'm like, I never got to experience that, but I get to enjoy his recordings and. There's a guy out there named Nat Myers right now. It's open for us. He's studied all that stuff, and he's playing a very great personal version of his take on it. And it's like, it's out there. You know, it's not the same, but it's out there. I know we got to wrap up, but I know I want to mention some things about the fourth album and ask you about that stuff. You know, you guys have a vibe to you that is a lot different than a lot of the new bands that are out there it creates you know there's rockabilly there's blues there's some funk there's just straight up rock and roll in it how did you guys develop your sound to be where it is today uh following our natural instincts and having um experienced something that i never really thought i would i thought i had but that is to walk into a room uh, and start playing with two people or whatever is the number for other people. But in my case, these two guys, and it just was like, we sound like a band. All of their experiences in life, all of my experiences. And we, we met each other, you know, we were in our early 30s. And so we had already been through, you know, we had all gone to school and all walked away from doing a career. And I went to college because my mom was like, Please go to college and then I'll never, that's how I ended up in Milwaukee. I'll never say another word. So I went and got my degree and then I, I played in bands. I was like, I don't care how long it takes and, you know, moved to LA at, at 32 and, uh, totally broke, uh, too late by most standards, too old playing dobros and harmonicas and lap steels and old beat up you know, guitars on stage with people that had computers, you know, following me. And uh, the way we found our sound was we got together. We had listened to John Lee Hooker's uh, Hooker and Heat one night. And we we're just like, let's just do something raw and simple, inspired by that. Hung up four microphones. And the first song we recorded is called Born Unnamed. You can actually, we put it up uh, during the pandemic. It's on Spotify. It's on some streaming platforms. It's not like, you know, so, but that's, that song was recorded the first day we got together, Born Unnamed, because we didn't have a name yet. So I named the song Born Unnamed because we're all born unnamed, aren't we? 
So, uh, and how we got to where we are now is just the compression of being three guys that have tastes that are similar. Any one of us is going to, without, without probably about 5% of each of our tastes go away from each other. Meaning like 95% of the records I'm going to pull off the shelf. Everybody in the band is going to go, hell yeah. 5%, maybe there's a hell no. Meaning that's a lot of overlap of creativity. So it's just riffs come out, things come out, and we all just, we're, we are all seekers. We all are deep multi-instrumentalists. We're seekers. We have our own little sound, each of us. And when we put it together, um, we had an idea. It's like, okay, we're not a reggae band. We could play reggae. We're not going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to be a band that's influenced by, like you said, all the stuff you just said, you know, the, the rockabilly, the punk, the, the, you know, uh, uh, blues, rock, early rock and roll, uh, even, you know, uh, early hip hop and, you know, nineties hip hop. We, we did, we, we've got a beastie boys cover of, so what you want that sounds when I'm saying it right now, like that's probably the most absurd thing you've ever heard, but go listen to it. And people, some people tend to like it. That's one of our most requested songs. Doesn't sound anything like the original and all that shit just happened naturally. Um, but it wasn't accidental. There is a lot of intention. There's a lot of listening. There's a lot of throwing things to the side. There's a lot of, you have to come to an agreement as a band. After you get through those euphoric beginning days, it's just like a relationship. It's like everything the other person says is amazing. Oh my God, I love you so much. And then five years later, it's like, Hey, you haven't cleaned the freaking kitchen in three weeks, man. What are you doing? You know what I mean? That's the same thing happens in a band. You know, it's like, Hey dude, how about a little acknowledgement? Hey man. And, and that, that can fester into bad things too. And all that can either destroy you or make you stronger and grow, you know? Um, so that's how we found our sound. It's listening to our, and believing, uh, uh, Dave Sardi, a guy we, we had our, we've always self-produced our records, but we did do one record with, uh, uh, our last record, the third record we did with a producer named Dave Sardi. And he said something that really profoundly struck me deep in my heart. He's like, you're trying to get your record on the shelf with the records that you grew up listening to. He's like, you want somebody to put your album and go, Hey, it's worth being on that shelf with all those other great albums in the history of rock and roll that they chose to buy and have on there. You want yours to go on there. So if you're going to do that, you better give a fucking shit, you know, and you better dig and you better dig deep and listen. So all that goes into play, but in the center of it, you got to love it. You got to love it. You got to love each other. Or you're not going to, you're not going to, you can make great music, but you're not going to make it as a band because the, the, the sour, terrible, horrible things. Like we got dropped by our label last year before the fourth record on the eve of Christmas. We had put out three records. They all had done well. New person came in, wasn't feeling it. I respect the decision, but timing was a little rough. It made our record better, you know, and we ended up getting it put out anyway on another label, but from Christmas to mid January, all we did was double down on it. And that's how I, I'm giving you a tirade answer here, but it's, I can't answer a question like that where I have so many passionate feelings in a, in a snippet and do any justice to anybody who actually really wants to hear what happened or to understand what I think is valuable motivation for, for you, 
you, whoever's listening, to take and believe in yourself. But humility, I've learned humility, valuing yourself with humility and accountability is how you get to be, find your sound. It's how you stay getting along, being fair, and being kind to each other, and not making it all about you, me. You know, it's like, oh, I'm the singer of the band. I should have more say than this, or I'm the guitar player. That's, that's what I do. That kind of bullshit will fuck up a band so fast, and it'll mess up your sound. And don't go, and all another thing I'd say is chase your own sound. You know, if you're chasing what's popular, you're already behind, man. Just chase what you feel, make it your own. And, and that's because I've never been in a monstrously popular band like that sells out 5,000 seats. You know, we're, we're a scrappy little trio that's fighting for every ticket. And I'm freaking proud of it because everybody who comes in the door found us like Jay did, you know, and, and I'm all good with that. And if it turns out to be big Jay, I'm cool with that. If it, if it, if it stays where it is, Hey, as long as I can pay my rent, my wife doesn't uh, want to leave the house because I'm so damn broke. I can't possibly contribute. That's fine. Let's uh, get up above that level and anywhere up there is fine with me. Was there a different approach to this album that maybe differed from the three previous? No, no. Uh, the approach was, I mean, in the end it starts with songs. Um, the approach was what's, is this flipping the switch? Have we found the song? You know, um, do we believe in it? Do we really love it? You know, that gets really tough sometimes when you got one guy in the band who really believes in something and the other two guys don't or two guys really believe in something and I don't. You know, it's tough when a singer doesn't believe because I can like be like, I don't like it, you know, and it, I don't like what we're doing, you know, and it's like, what are you going to do if the singer doesn't believe in it? You're really in trouble. So. Um, but I, I try to be very, very, very fair collaborative wise. It's like if, you know, and Alex, our bass player writes a ton of material. And on this album, he wrote a ton of material. And it's like, if I was, when I was 22, I'd have been like, Oh man, these lyrics, I got to come up with lyrics. There, there are songs that he just wrote every single word. And I was like, dude, it's freaking great. Yeah. I'll sing that. That's great. You know, so, um, that's, I don't know if that answered the question, but there I am. Yeah, absolutely. There's one question I want to ask you, though. We touched on it in the midst of our conversation earlier about finding a band when you do. You find the band when you're supposed to find the band. As far as the record company goes, do you feel the record company is where it's supposed to be at the current time? Yes. Shortest answer I'll give you all day. Because I have no regrets. Um, I'm still doing it. I'm here. I, my goal in life, uh, John Mayer, uh, we opened for John Mayer for uh, a good half of his tour really made a, a, you know, we played really big places, some, you know, like Madison square garden and crazy stuff, you know, like, and, and that was crazy that, you know, cause that was right after we had put out the first record and like, we went from, you know, a hundred person rooms to that. And, but we had all been playing since we were kids, you know, so we weren't spring chickens either. So John has a profound influence, has had a profound influence. It's just, I just find him to be very strong human being who's learned a lot. He, he's very accountable for 
what everything about music and who he is and what his journey's been. So I really admire him as a person and a player. And uh one thing he said is if and it really hit me hard was like if you can't define what success is to you as an artist, you're gonna be chasing this phantom, I'm paraphrasing, for your whole life. Because you could, you could have a record, you could sell out Madison Square Garden and be like, why didn't I sell it out two nights in a row? I mean, that, you, there are countless stories in rock and roll. You hear like these great artists and you're like, why is this guy so freaking miserable? If I had what he had, right? It's like, you don't know his life. You don't know what, what they went through. You don't know what she went through. Um, for me, success is a really simple thing. When I was a child and I made that promise, going all the way back in this interview to when I said, I'm going to do this for a living. That was it. I wanted to wake up in the morning thinking about music, spend my entire day in every activity thinking about music and go to sleep and dream about it. And I can do that right now. And as long as I can do that, I consider it successful. So wherever we end up, now I'm going to fight. I play as hard as I can. I'm going to fight tooth and nail to try and grow this thing. That's, that's would be disingenuous of me to sit here and say, Oh yeah, 300 people a night. Oh, that, that's the ultimate goal. That's, well, of course I'd rather be in front of 3000 people. Of course I'd rather be have nice things and all this stuff. Of course, of course, but I was already successful in my heart at 300 people if I'm paying my rent and I can think about have these silly thoughts. That would not work in any of the, or it's like, instead of being like, how do I put food on the table? Once I've got that done, it's like, hmm, I wonder what kind of guitar tone. Should I get a different guitar pedal? If I can, those are the thoughts I can be having. I'm a, I'm, I've succeeded at it, what I want to do. And I consider, and that was a very big peaceful moment. And I actually am very thankful to have heard that because, uh, it makes you grateful for what you have. And I, I didn't used to be that way. I, I used to be very like, damn it, you know, you make, you get jealous. You, you, all this bullshit, waste of time, just poison for your heart and soul. Let, now I look at things, I'm like, go, enjoy. Fucking A, you're inspiring. Good job, you know, to other artists. I don't go like, oh, this person's here and I'm here. Why? It's like, well, they're here and I'm here. I got work to do. Or maybe my stuff didn't connect like theirs did. What, I'm not going to waste my time worrying about it. If I love what I did, that's all I need. As long as I got food on the table and a car to drive down the road. I got to tell you, I I know we got to end the interview, but I'm already looking forward to our next conversation because this was, (laughs) this was tremendous and I really enjoyed it. And um, like I said, I love this album. It's the fourth album by the band, the record company. And if you haven't listened to it, available everywhere on all streaming and get the physical copy too as well um and then are you doing what what tour dates do you have lined up uh we have some dates lined up in october and november we've got uh we'll be in the midwest we'll be around you know uh and then we'll be northern norcal and then uh we will also uh be in la in november a really great festival that we're gonna headline out here uh one of the days is called the uh, what is it? Smokestack Lightning Festival. It's like kind of like indie blues, gospel and soul bands. And it's a really cool lineup, man. Really cool. Um, and, uh, 
uh, next year is going to be the big, like, drop all the dates. So keep your eyes peeled. If you want to go to the recordcompany.net, uh, that's where you'll find us or any of the platforms. You type the record company into Google, we come right up. If you're interested, you can find us. And if you dig our stuff, all I say is thank you. And if you really dig it, tell 10 friends, because I still believe there's no algorithm constructed that, 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 that is more impactful than when someone you care about turns to you and says, have you heard this? That is a soul connection that gives a new, a piece of new material more energy than any article, than any, it just, that's the way it gets done. You know, so it's like I I go I go back. My buddy handing me the Cliff Amal video. You got to listen to this. I thought the dude was cool. I listened to it. It had a head start before I even saw it. I I, I felt it was good before I even hit play because I trusted this kid. You know. Well, man, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Like I said, like I can't wait till we talk again because there's so much <laughs> that I wanted to go into, and um, I enjoyed every moment of it. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jay. And, uh, you know, anytime, obviously I, I'm from the Midwest. I have no trouble talking. <laughs> I inherited that from my father and all the best to you. If you've made it this far into this interview, I want to thank you for your time. Time is valuable. It's one of the greatest pieces of greatest things you can give somebody else is a little bit of your time. So if you've given us this much of your time, I want to thank you for it. If you give uh, my band a little more of your time, I thank you for it. And if you don't, don't let them get you down out there. You stay you and stay, stay accountable and, be a loving person irregardless of what they say. And uh, that's what I'm going to do. And we'll see how it works out for all of us. But uh, much, much love to y'all. I appreciated the opportunity to uh, have a conversation instead of an interview. Appreciate that. All your links for the band, all the record company links will be in the show notes, Great. all the social media, the website. So go check them out. I love this band. I love their music. And, uh, I love having Chris on. So thanks again for his time. Thanks for your time listening. Once again, this is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And we will talk soon. Thank you.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 